0: At the beginning, there was no form, there was no order, the universe was silent. This was how it was until, later, when the first particle moved and the silence was broken. At first one and then more, the lightest particles ascended while the heavier particles remained below. Sound, shape and order thus emerged, with the lightest realm, the celestial dimension of Takamagahara above and the dense dark matter of the primordial world below, a realm of water devoid of light. Next came the gods, gods with names too long to remember. One at first, who in turn created more, until the god pairing of Izanagi and Izanami arose. Setting their gaze upon the darkened ocean below the heavenly realm, Izanagi and Izanami created land and, descending to it, seeded the world with life. In turn, Izanagi gave rise to three more gods the divine siblings Amaterasu, the sun goddess, Tsukuyomi, the moon god, and Susunor, the god of storms and the sea. Of those three, Amaterasu was the most powerful. A goddess whose golden radiance brought light to the world. And of her two siblings, Susuno, the god of storms and the sea, was known to be wild and unruly. Jealous of his radiant sister, and angered following a dispute with her, Susuno rampaged through the celestial realm, destroying rice fields, slaying a heavenly horse and cast it into Amaterasu's palace, and then seeing fit to let himself into that palace. Which I imagine had been pretty pristine up until that point, to defecate. Poor form in anyone's book. Enraged by the behaviour of her impetuous brother, Amaterasu sought refuge in the heavenly rock cave, and pulling a large stone across the entrance, she fused the rock together, sealing herself off from the world. Thus her divine light was extinguished, leaving only dark. Crops withered and failed. Animals died. Humans suffered chaos took hold and evil spirits revealed themselves this generally didn't bode well for anyone but at this point rienta susano who brought himself to the cave to antagonize his sister yet more taunting her that she had failed as a goddess textbook uh, sibling behavior other gods and goddesses gathered outside the cave to devise a way to lure amaterasu back into the world with treasures crowing cockerels And so the story goes, the rhythmic temptation of a one-eyed blacksmith banging an iron nail into stone, the original old school banger. this commotion, Kane, the god of wisdom and intelligence strode forward directing the gods and goddesses to uproot a divine tree and move it to the entrance of the cave. Stripped of its emerald leaves, the tree was adorned with jewels and a large mirror placed in its branches. Ame no Uzume, the goddess of mirth and revelry, then began to dance. A wild dance, exposing herself to the equal pleasure and shock of the attending gods and goddesses. And as the frenzy grew, it was announced a more powerful god than Amaterasu had entered the world. Made curious by the commotion and announcement from outside, Amaterasu unsealed the stone and eased the rock door back to glimpse what was taking place through the gap in the stone her terrific radiance reverberated through the world outside and reflecting back to her from the mirror and hanging jewels amai terasu was deceived into the belief that another god had indeed arrived She stepped forward from the cave to see the god in full, and as she re-emerged into the world was held by the other gods without relent, bringing her light back into the world and banishing darkness. And the heavenly rock door was seized and cast high into the air so that she could not retreat again. And so the world was radiant, and order returned. But even the gods can only throw a stone door so far, and eventually it fell to earth. Welcome to Snow Country Stories Japan. My name is Peter Carnell, a freelance writer and guide based in Nagano, and this is a podcast all about life and travel in Japan's legendary Yukiguni. This is episode 12 of the podcast and the final episode for season 1. Thank you to everyone who is listening. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I'm certainly enjoying making it and looking forward to returning with season 2 in September. I'll make sure to announce the date that the pod will return in advance. And during that time, I'll also republish an episode or two that I think are worth listening to again or perhaps you missed them upon their release. So keep an eye out for those. Today's episode is the first of my intended travel guides for recommended destinations in the snow country. Located just outside of Nagano city, Togakushi is home to some of Japan's most important Shinto shrines and one of the snow country's most important cultural landscapes. Translating as hidden door, Togakushi takes its name from the heavenly rock door that is said to have landed there. As such, it has been a focal point of devotion for more than a thousand years and likely at least two thousand years. The creation myth I opened with was written in the 8th century in a seminal book of Japanese history and myth called the Kojiki, just one of many versions of a story, or better said alternate stories that are likely much older part of the wider Myoko Togakushi Renza National Park, Togakushi's spiritual significance is matched by its natural beauty, making it a fantastic destination for nature and wildlife enthusiasts. And as we'll explore in this episode, that's just the beginning of what's on offer, including its legendary mountain ninja, famous autumn awesome colours and the powder snow and deep cold of winter, best enjoyed at the little known but beautiful Togakushi Ski Resort. Based in Nagano, I guide tours to Togakshi, one of my favourite places to guide, so if you're interested in that, make sure to listen on to the end of the episode when I provide a little information about my services, and check out the guiding section of the podcast website, snowcountrystories.com. Of course, if you want to head there by yourself, I also provide information about how to do so and the best times to visit. It's my ambition that this travel guide inspires you to travel to Togakshi. I hope it does just that, and I hope you enjoy Located around 60 minutes by bus from Nagano Station, the alpine village of Togakushi actually sits within the boundaries of Nagano City. I mention that only to underscore how easy it is to get to, but in all other ways, it's a world away from the city. Part of the broader Myoko Togakushi Renza National Park, Togakushi Village enjoys an average elevation of around 1200 metres, just under 4,000 feet, and sits beneath the striking jagged ridgeline of Mount Togakushi at 1,904 meters, which is around 6,250 feet. Mount Togakushi is one of multiple peaks within the national park, including Myoko, Hiuchi, Amakazari, Yakeyama, Takatsuma, Kuruhime and Izuna, this dense grouping of mountains being something of a defining characteristic of the park, which is relatively small at just below 40,000 hectares. Mountains have long played an important role in the cultural fabric of Japan, and the presence of multiple peaks, including volcanoes, within the confined space of the national park, marks it out as a place of significance, and arguably the most important of those mountains is Togakshi, a focal point of devotion for at least 1,000 years, and more likely, more than 2,000. 2,000 years, that takes us back before the introduction of Buddhism to Japan, and into the fringes of Koshinto, or Old Shinto, the loose conglomeration of beliefs and rituals of prehistoric Japan. It's a point of debate as to just how much we can connect the practice of Shintoism today back to this period. However, we do know that animism and nature worship are a shared feature of both the modern and ancient faith systems. And both today as back then, mountains play an especially important role. Shintoism underwent fundamental changes following the introduction of Buddhism to Japan from the 6th century onward, absorbing Buddhist beliefs into its practice, mimicking Buddhism by gradually taking on a more organised and unified structure, implementing the tradition of shrine building, before the introduction of Buddhist temples, there had been no such tradition, and ultimately recognising the need for at least some amount of scripture, as there had been none before. Jump forward in time from the 6th century to the 8th century to the year 712, and the publication of the Kojiki. Translating as the Record of Ancient Matters, the Kojiki was the first authorised text to account for Japanese origins, myths and the genealogies connecting the Kami, gods, creation of the Japanese archipelago and the early emperors. Followed by the publication of the Nihon Shoki in 720, these two texts were intended to give legitimacy and authority to the early emperors. As such, the Kojiki and Nihon Shoki can be considered the first official texts accounting for Japan's early history and belief system. One of the more important accounts of the origin of Japan included in the Kojiki is the account of Amaterasu, the sun goddess and mother goddess of Japan, and her retreat from the world as I retold at the beginning of this episode. It is said, the heavenly rock door, which had sealed her in the cave and was cast aside, eventually fell to earth in Togakushi marking it as a place of huge significance to the Japanese creation myths. A fact reflected in the presence of a shrine complex spread through the forests, enshrining many kami said to reside there. Kami doesn't translate perfectly, but in essence, it refers to divine beings or spirits, gods for lack of a better description, that inhabit the world and influence the human realm. They are part of nature and seen as manifest in natural features that inspire awe and wonder, mountains, rivers, waterfalls, ancient trees, unique stones, weather and other natural events such as earthquakes and volcanoes, these are all kami. Ultimately, the focal point of devotion in Togakshi is the mountain itself where powerful kami are said to endure. Five shrines make up the main complex at Togakshi. The Hokosha, Lower Shrine, Chusha, Middle Shrine, and Okusha, Upper Shrine are the most commonly visited. The smaller Hinomikosha, located between the Lower and Middle Shrine, and Kuzurusha, nearby the Upper Shrine, round out the main structures within the complex. When approaching from Nagano City, you will first come to the Lower Shrine, with the middle shrine another 5 minutes by bus or around 20 minutes walk along the forest trail, located in the centre of Togakshi village. The middle shrine is the largest of the five and preceded by a large tori gate, you can't miss it. From there you can walk to the trailhead of the upper shrine in around 30 minutes if you walk along the road, or around 1.5 to 2 hours using forest trails. The approach to the upper shrine is without question the most famous feature in Togakshi, but not for the shrine itself. Around 15 to 20 minutes from the trailhead, the Zushimon is a large red gate which acts as the entrance to an avenue of grand cedars. With most estimated to be over 400 years old and some much older, the trees are immense and considered sacred in their own right. This spot is famous, highly photogenic and attracts plenty of visitors. Should you then want to head on, the walk becomes a little more exertive as the level trail inclines upward and you tackle a series of large and uneven stone stairs as you make your way to the upper shrine, another 25 to 30 minutes walk depending on your level of fitness. The upper shrine marks the place where the heavenly rock door fell to earth, with the ridge line of Mount Ogakshi running above, and as mentioned, a focal point of devotion in itself. Each of the shrines is dedicated to a specific kami or multiple kami, while the mountain, many trees, stones, waterfalls are also considered sacred, often marked by the shiminawa, rope, with tethered white paper as a sign that an important coming resides there. Forest trails link the shrines and offer the best way to experience the complex. Togakushi has long been a place of pilgrimage for practitioners of Shintoism and Shugendo, with the forest trails throughout the area still functioning as pilgrimage trails known as Togakushi-do. Practitioners of Shugendo are referred to as Shugenda or Yamabushi. Listeners to previous episodes of the pod will recognise that name Yamabushi, the mysterious ascetics who retreat to the mountains in spiritual testing, cleansing and seeking their rebirth. As discussed in episode 9, How to Die Well in the Mountains, Way of the Yamabushi, In that episode, I chatted with Tim Bunting about his practice as a Yamabushi, so if you're interested to learn more, go back and listen to my chat with Tim, noting we discussed his practice on the Dewa Sanzan in Yamagata, which is different to Togakushi, but in general, many principles are the same. Yamabushi continue to frequent Togakushi today. While it's possible to move between the shrines using local buses that run somewhat infrequently along the main road, I encourage you to make use of the trails and walk. Well maintained and suitable for anyone of reasonable fitness, trails should be free of snow from late May onward and stay clear until sometime in December. Throughout that time of year, I operate my tours in Togakushi, including walking the trails with my guests to the main shrines. If you're interested in that, listen on to the end of the episode for more information. Should you plan to go by yourself, trail maps are available at the Togakshi Tourist Information Centre it's directly across from the Chusha, that's the middle shrine, and is open daily from 9 to 5. Walking the trails is the best way to both experience the shrines while accessing some of the natural highlights of the national park, including Kagami Ike. Translating as mirror pond, Kagami Ike is known for its mirror-like reflection of Mount Togakushi on clear days, accessible using the forest trail that leads you from the middle to upper shrine. Togakshi Forest Botanical Garden is another popular spot especially for twitchers, that's bird watchers, who are drawn to the area for its range of bird life. Togakshi is teeming with bird life and other animals, including, it must be said, black bears. You'll see warning signs about the bears along the trails with information about recent sightings. Many hikers wear bear bells, but I think the jury is out as to whether they do much good. Black bears are typically timid and will retreat from humans. Make a point of making yourself heard as you walk, and avoid early morning and dusk when they are most active and you shouldn't have a problem. They are, however, there. After all, it's their habitat, so it's worth mentioning. So just be mindful of that and best to always hike with someone. And ultimately, the bears aren't the only thing you need to be on the lookout for when visiting Togakshi. The 12th century was a time of war in Japan. Unrest throughout the domains and competition between the clans for control of the imperial court had, through preceding decades, led to increasing conflict and ultimately civil war between the powerful Taira and Minamoto clans. Among the many men who achieved fame or infamy during this time, a samurai named Nishina Daisuke originated from Nagano, then called Shirano, and was in the service of Minamoto Yoshitsune, brother of Minamoto Yoritomo, the warlord who would ultimately win the war and establish the Kamakura Shogunate. While there is some dispute as to the actual fate of Minamoto Yoshitsune, it is generally believed that he was killed in battle, a defeat that Nishina Daisuke survived by fleeing to the mountains. And this is where accounts of Nishina diverge and his legend merges with those of Togakushi. Some stories tell that Nishina fled into the forested valleys of Iga province on the Key Peninsula, where he encountered Kain Doshi, a warrior monk exiled from China. In his tutelage, Nishina renounced the samurai code of Bushido to learn the fighting styles that are today referred to as Ru, the Iga school of ninjutsu, eventually returning to Nagano to found the Togakure-ru tradition of ninjutsu in Togakushi. Other stories tell of him fleeing to Nagano immediately upon his defeat in battle, and taking refuge in the shrines and hidden caves of Mount Togakshi. As we know, Togakshi is a place of the gods, and in those forests and atop its mountains, Kami dwell. A legend tells that Nishina encountered a powerful deity and the mysterious Yamabushi, who imparted secret knowledge and techniques to him. And in doing so, he became the first Togakure ninja, and one of Japan's three main schools of ninjutsu was thus founded. Yet another story tells that Nishina had already trained as a Yamabushi before ever serving as a samurai, and was in truth returning to his roots. We do not know the truth, but it is, however, accepted that ultimately Nishina Daisuke founded the Togakure-ryu tradition in Togakushi, which today, along with Igoru, remains one of Japan's principal schools of ninjutsu. Unlike the samurai, who were all about squaring up with honour and in the right regalia for a dust-up done proper, the ninja were about stealth, deception, illusion and anonymity. They were guns for hire, masters of infiltration, espionage and unconventional warfare. Or better said, they are, as ninjas still train and practice in Togakushi. You can take my word for that, I've encountered them. But as ninja, it comes as no surprise that they are bloody hard to find, but should you be interested, there are a couple of places to head to to learn more. Located across from the trailhead of the upper shrine, the Togakure Ninja Museum is open daily from late April to mid-November and exhibits weapons and techniques of the ninja, while a separate folk museum exhibits folk artifacts of traditional life in Togakushi. There is little to no English, however, you'll enjoy trying to make sense of what they were up to. After all, ninja want to be anonymous and secretive, making it hard to know where the blurring of fact and myth occurs. The highlight of the museum is the ninja trick mansion, a multi-room house you enter and they must find your way out of. No two rooms are the same, with diversions and trickery throughout to confuse and disorientate. It's seriously good fun, just as much for adults as it is kids. In addition, there is a separate kids' ninja village, with the same operating periods and times, nearby the Middle Shrine. Designed for younger kids, the village includes plenty of activities and the option of dressing as ninja. Links to this and other recommendations discussed in today's episode are included on the episode page on the website. Make sure to check that out. Whether you're hiking the trails or messing with ninja, you'll need energy, which means you need to eat, and in Togakshi, that means soba. Soba, or buckwheat in English, is grown in many regions of Japan, And among them, Togakshi is particularly well known, especially for its noodles. The mountain water is said to be mineral rich and pure, magic mountain water, which results in the local soba having a particularly clean and delectable taste. Many Japanese travel to Togakshi primarily to eat soba, with the most popular and famous restaurants having a queue outside, often in advance of opening. In that regard, it makes the most famous restaurants easy to spot, just look for the people waiting outside but there's also no need to choose from one of them. All the restaurants are good, and honestly, I've sometimes been hard pressed to tell the difference between the renowned restaurants and the ones a couple of doors up with few people inside. Soba is served in many ways, hot, cold, and with a range of side dishes and toppings. For me, hot soba in broth with sansai, that's wild vegetables, is my go-to dish. And make sure to try soba cha or soba tea, probably my favorite tea in Japan, and a bang-up combination with a hot bowl of sansai soba. Lovely stuff. Restaurants are dotted throughout Togakshi with the greatest concentration in the central village within easy walking distance of the middle shrine. In that area, you'll also find Lamp Cafe, a cosy little place run by friendly owners that serves coffee, tea, cakes, and a basic food menu. A good option if you're looking for something other than soba. They have an English menu and always offer a warm welcome. It's less than five minutes walk from the middle shrine and is open every day other than Thursdays from 9 to 6. Togakushi is also known for its traditional bamboo craft called Takezaiku. Stores are spread throughout the village, selling a range of wares woven from bamboo grass. Kitchen goods feature heavily. Actually, Lamp Cafe uses bamboo strainers to filter their coffee, which gives it a specific taste and texture. All very nice. If you're visiting on weekends, you can expect most stores to be open, however, during the week, when visitor numbers are typically low, some stores may not be open for a couple of days. This leads us to the question, when's the best time to visit? Togakshi is an all-year-round destination, offering different reasons to visit in each season, so the best time to visit depends on what you're interested in. Shrines including the Hokosha, lower shrine, and Chusha, middle shrine, can be accessed all times of year. The Oksha, that's the upper shrine, is also accessible all times of year, but to reach it in winter, you'll need snowshoes. For the other two, there's parking close enough that you can just walk into them. If you want to hike the trails between the shrines, they should be free of snow from around mid to late May until early to mid-December. In winter, you can still walk all trails, but you'll need snowshoes and suitable gear. And for any walk other than to the Zushimon, that's prior to the upper shrine, I recommend considering a local guide as signposts will be buried, and while most walks are easy, it is possible to get lost. The summer months of July and August are a great time to visit, if for no other reason than to escape the heat and humidity of the world below. You can expect Togakshi to be between 8 to 10 degrees cooler than nearby Nagano City. That might sound unreal, but trust me, it's true. Autumn is the most popular time. Sometime in September and through to October, the forests will turn and be awash with colour. Called Koyo in Japanese, the autumn colours of Tokakushi are famous and it's this time of year when it's at its busiest. Try to avoid weekends and even on weekdays, which would typically be quiet in Tokakushi. You can expect the shrines, restaurants and buses to be busy. Anyone interested in the ninja needs to visit from late April to mid-November as both the museum and Kids Ninja Village close during winter. Winter in Togakushi is cold. You can expect snow flurries any time from as early as October and into April or May or even as late as June. Much like summer, expect temperatures of between 8 to 10 degrees Celsius colder than Nagano City and at night it can get down to minus 15 Celsius, that's around 5 degrees Fahrenheit or even lower. Snow is likely to be at its heaviest during January and February, with heavy snowfall also possible in December, March and April, and this means we need to talk skiing and snowboarding. Togakushi is home to a gem of a ski resort, and one that flies under the radar for international visitors. Typically open from the second half of December until mid to late March or possibly into April if the snow is good enough, Togakshi Ski Resort is around seventy minutes by bus from Nagano Station, while also easy to access by car from the resorts of Myoko Kogan, Madarao and Nozawa Onsen. Popular with locals, including families on the weekends, Togakshi is at its best during the week when it's almost certain to be quiet. It's a small resort offering only around 58 hectares of terrain, across 19 ski runs and serviced by 7 chairlifts, no gondolas and no night skiing. Togakshi's inland location means it doesn't get the consistent dumps of powder that other Nagano resorts are blessed with. Having said that, it still gets plenty. But its elevation of between 1300 metres to 1749 metres means the snow is reliable and stays in good condition. There's a good mix of terrain with some short but steep black runs. Unfortunately, backcountry is not permitted. It's a resort dominated by skiers. Borders are getting a stronger foothold season on season, but it is a resort where skiers seem to think they have the right of way and can be a little bit pushy. Handle that however you see fit. A great option for a day trip from Myoko, Madurao or Nozawa. The mix of terrain also means it caters well to groups with varied experience and families as there's a couple of long wide bunny slopes and kids activity areas. Advanced skiers and boarders are likely to get bored pretty fast unless the black runs off the backside of the resort are open and full of powder. If so, then you're in for some fun. More and more international visitors are discovering it each season, but compared to many other resorts in Nagano, you'll see a few foreign faces there. As a result, don't expect much English at the rental and restaurants, and as far as I'm aware, there are no English-speaking ski schools. It's a beautiful little resort where on a clear day, you'll have fantastic views of Mount Togakushi and other peaks, including the North Alps. I definitely rate it amongst the most picturesque ski resorts in Nagano and recommend you check it out. In terms of getting to Togakushi, it's easy to do so from Nagano Station using local bus services. Operated by the Alpico Bus Company, Two lines, number 70 and number 73, run to different points in Togakshi. The journey to the lower and middle shrines will take about 60 minutes from Nagano Station, 65 minutes to the upper shrine and 75 to 80 minutes to the ski resort. Times can be longer in winter due to the road conditions. There are also different timetables in winter and summer, however the earlier service usually leaves Nagano station between 6.30 to 7 in the morning, with the latest return services departing Togakshi for Nagano between 6.30 and 7 at night. The Alpico bus stand and ticket office is across the road from Nagano station, under a minute's walk when exiting the station from the Zenkoji exit. Using Japanese buses is easy, when you board, take a ticket from the machine, it will have a number. A board at the front of the bus has a tally of the journey price for each number. When you get to your stop, simply look at the board and the price against the number on your ticket, that is how much you pay. You pay the driver as you disembark, you pay in cash, exact cash, no changes given, travel card or by purchasing the Zenkoji and Togakshi one day ticket in advance. This is the easiest option. The one day ticket can be purchased from the ticket office before boarding the bus and it can be purchased using credit card, allowing unlimited use of bus services to Togakshi and Zenkoji Temple in Nagano City for one day, and also allows discounts at restaurants in Togakshi. There's a link to this and other information on the page for today's episode. Most international visitors head to Togakshi as a day trip from Nagano City. For those who want to stay, there's a lot of good of accommodation to choose from, including shukubo, traditional lodgings associated with the shrines, If you're familiar with Japanese ryokan, then you'll basically know what to expect. These are traditional guest houses, usually family-run, which feature Japanese rooms including tatami matting, futons and low furniture, and provide dinner and breakfast for guests. Shukubo pride themselves on their seasonal menus designed to show off local produce and ingredients. Many offer activities related to the shrines, such as Shinto ceremonies, but that varies a lot at between the accommodation and there's no requirement to partake. It's also worth noting that many feature shared toilet and bathing facilities, which is typical of traditional Japanese guest houses, and owners are unlikely to speak much English, but don't let that put you off. In and around the ski resort, you also have a choice of ski and mountain lodges, and a campground located past the upper shrine which buses run to from Nagano City. Any popular accommodation website should list some good options in Togakshi, again noting that it's only 60 minutes by bus from Nagano station, so staying around the station where there's plenty of western-style hotels is also an easy option. But if you're wanting to extend your stay in Togakshi to enjoy everything it has to offer, staying overnight might just be a good option for you. Based in Nagano, Togakshi is one of my favourite destinations to guide, and from May to October I operate my Forest Shrines of Togakshi private nature hiking tour. I have designed this tour to take you away from the city and along the trails of Togakushi to visit the main shrines and explore this important cultural landscape. In doing so, you'll escape the crowds and experience the shrines as they are meant to be, while enjoying a day within the beauty of Myoko Togakushi Renzan National Park. Starting from Nagano Station, I'll accompany you by bus to Togakushi, And then starting from the lower shrine, we walk to the central village and middle shrine before embarking on the longer walk to the upper shrine via beautiful Kagame Ike. Along the way, we'll discuss the history and importance of Togakshi and the basic principles of Shintoism, while also stopping for coffee, tea, beer, snacks or lunch, whatever takes your fancy, with the walks well paced and allowing for as many breaks as you like. And once done, I accompany you back to Nagano by bus. As a private tour, all aspects can be customised to suit your needs, interests, itinerary and energy level, with shorter walks possible, if that's more suitable. Full details of the tour are on the Snow Country Stories website. Should you be interested in a tour to Togakushi at other times of year, including winter, don't hesitate to get in touch to inquire. It's one of my favourite destinations to guide, I'd love to be part of your experience. I hope I've piqued your interest in visiting. That's it for today's episode and season one of the podcast. I say it each episode, but a genuine thanks yet again to everyone who is listening. I really do appreciate it. Uh, I'm still learning this whole podcast game, but I'm really enjoying the journey and working to improve my episodes and interviews to provide you with more insight about the snow country. I'll be back in September with Season 2 of the podcast. In the meantime, look out for an announcement of the return date, and I'll upload a previous episode or two that I think are worth listening to again. The website is snowcountrystories.com, and you can follow the show and my tours by searching Snow Country Stories Japan on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Follows, likes, and shares are always hugely appreciated. This has been Snow Country Stories Japan. I'll be back in September with Season 2. Until then... It's bye for now.